0: i don 't know if uh, if it works this way for you guys, but man, this morning was awesome. I got up really early this morning and was blessed in the lord 's presence and and uh got everything ready and and came to church and then you know we start trying to practice and fritz 's mic 's not working and then we try to play the piano and the piano 's not working and, and and then church gets ready to start so me and fritz we meet as we is our uh is our habit together for prayer, and we pray, Lord, there's spiritual attack. I just feel spiritual attack going on, and, and uh, we come out, and we start doing worship, and Fritz breaks a string on his guitar, <laughs> and <laughs> do you ever have one of those days? Hey, I don't know about you guys, but I still, I know that the, there's, there's always, whenever there's something that God wants to do, when His Spirit wants to move, and uh, there's always going to be opposition. There's always going to be things. And uh, this morning's no different. This morning, if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open up to Acts chapter 2. As we take a look at the birthday of the church. As the Lord poured out the promise of His Spirit. On a particular day, for a particular reason. And uh, we're excited to to study it. So I invite you to read with me. We're going to read together to verse 21 this morning in chapter two, beginning at verse one. It says, "Now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting." And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language, in which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining the Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, We hear them speaking in our own tongue, the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, "'Whatever could this mean?' Others, mocking, said, "'Wow, they are full of new wine.' But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, "'Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, "'let this be known to you and heed my words.' For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved let's pray heavenly father lord god we thank you for the truth of your word we thank you lord that father you want to pour out your spirit on your church still today and i thank you lord for pouring it out those many years ago fulfilling your promise To the disciples that you would not leave them orphans. But that you would send a comforter. And that he would give them the power they need. To be your witnesses. Thank you Lord Jesus God that your word declares to us. That each of us are called. To make disciples of all men. Going into every nation. Teaching and baptizing. Father that we would be fulfilling that commission. And for fulfilling that commission you have given us your holy spirit to empower your church to be a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god father i ask as we open your word this morning that we would have eyes to see so difficult sometimes as we study your word, God, not to bring our bias with us. Your word has something to tell us. And it is impossible for you to fill a cup that is already full. Lord, we pray that we would have hearts willing to receive what your spirit is saying to the churches today. That we would receive that true and living and vibrant word that is able to divide asunder between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Your word is living. It is as alive today as it was the day it occurred. So God, have your way in this service as we seek to honor you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, as we begin to take a look at Acts chapter two, this first half of of uh, what occurs on the day of Pentecost, I want to bring your attention to verse one. It says, "Now, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, it's a unique phrase that we see there had fully come." What it means is, now when the day of Pentecost had been fulfilled. And it reminds me of when the feast days were given to the children of Israel. Way back in the Old Testament, the Lord said, These are your appointed times. Seven feasts God gave for them to celebrate. And he said, These feasts are your appointed times. They are prophetic celebrations that look forward, each and every one, to a fulfillment in Scripture. Think about it Passover, the death of the Messiah, the sacrifice of the Lamb, the feast of unleavened bread speaks of the sinless body and burial of the Messiah. The celebration or feast of first fruits which occurred on the third day after the, the Sabbath of Passover which would be a Sunday spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. 50 days after or the Feast of Shavuot, sevens, seven Sabbaths plus one day, make a Sunday morning, the priest would come out and he would hold in his hands two loaves. Now you had your normal sacrifices that were going on, but the thing that set it apart on the day of Pentecost is they would take two loaves of bread and they would wave them before the Lord. And those two loaves of bread were cooked with leaven he was holding up wonder bread regular loaves not the matzah of unleavened bread because the scripture tells that leaven is a picture of sin and so he's standing there waving those two loaves and the people would say why what are we celebrating on pentecost and they would say this is the day that the law was given on mount sinai And when the law was given on Mount Sinai, Moses came down from the mountain with two tablets, and the two loaves of bread represent the two tablets. Then why is there leaven in the loaf? Well, they have a lot of reasons. Their favorite one is this little word called tradition. If you've ever seen Fiddler on the Roof, if you've ever gone to Israel, You have heard those phrases from your guides. Tradition. That's why it's tradition. Truly, the day of Pentecost celebrated the day that the law was given. But the feast of Pentecost celebrated something completely different. As each of the other feasts, and you look at it, and I invite you to study and take a look at them and see what God is revealing through those feast days because the first three deal with His first coming. The last three deal with His second coming. And right smack dab in the middle of both is Pentecost. The only feast with 11. Now think about the day that the law was given. The day that the law was given, Moses on the mountain receives the Ten Commandments from the Lord. The Lord is talking to Moses. They're having a a killer time up on Sinai. And God says to Moses, you're going to have to get back down there to those guys. Because they're all dancing naked around a golden calf right now. And Moses is thinking, oh, you got to be kidding, Lord. There's no way. I mean, they see, they're in the shadow of Sinai. Lightning, thunder, big cloud, the voice of God speaking from Mount Sinai had given them the Ten Commandments just a few days earlier. Moses was up on the mountain for how long? Forty days, forty nights. And he came down and he found just what God said. He threw down the Ten Commandments because there on the Ten Commandments people had already broken them. What was the penalty for breaking the Ten Commandments? Penalty was death. On the day that the law was given to the nation of Israel, 3,000 people died. On the day of Pentecost so they celebrated that feast Christ in Acts chapter 1 told his disciples I want you to wait here in Jerusalem now the Bible tells us he had been with them walked with them for 40 days it was 50, penny means 50 it's 50 days after the the Passover after the the feast of first fruits when you come to Pentecost so for 40 days, Jesus walked with them, and he said, I want you guys to wait here until you have been filled with the power that you need to be my witnesses to the world. And so they waited. And 10 days later came the feast of Pentecost. Something amazing happened that day. Something that had never happened before and has not happened since. That day was special. It was an appointed time. One of the appointed times that God had told the nation about. What were the two loaves? Jew and Gentile. Brought together in one entity. The church. Why were they made with leaven? Because there's sin in us. And there's sin in the church. Until the day we see our Savior face to face, there will always be the presence of leaven among God's people. Brought together, united. Now, think about the day of Pentecost. We won't study it today, but after next week when we read about the first sermon that Peter gives, what happens? 3,000 people are saved. 3,000 died. 3,000 are saved. The day that Pentecost is fulfilled. And that's what we're reading about. That's what we're studying. That's what we want to have eyes to see. Because this is not only the, the day when the, the, the church is, is birthed. But it is the day that God poured out the power that is still here. That is still moving and still working in our lives today. To make us Martus. Witnesses. To equip us to be who we need to be. To radically change our lives. To transform us from what we were. Because we all were something else. But we are all becoming conformed into the image of His Son. We begin to look more and more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It says, they were all in one accord, in one place. Moved with one passion. A desire to see... God move. They've been spending the last 40 days walking with him. And talking with him and touching him. But did that change them? No, we know it didn't. We know it didn't because after Peter saw the resurrected Christ. After Jesus had spoken to him. In John chapter 20, Peter says, I'm going fishing. See ya. And a number of the disciples go with him. We know that, that that's the same disciple that they were when Jesus breathed on them and said receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enters into their life. They're saved at that moment. But they're waiting for something. They're waiting for the empowerment. Jesus called it in Acts chapter 1 the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, don't get hung up on vernacular. I don't care what you call it. You call it whatever you want. You can call it being filled. You can call it the epi. You can call it the overflowing of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't make any difference. When you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, the Holy Spirit enters into your life that moment. It is impossible for you to be saved without the Holy Spirit in your life. But you need to be controlled by the Spirit. And you know as well as I do, that on any given day, we can be controlled by the flesh or we can be controlled by the Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, when this day had fully come, they were filled with the power that they needed finally to become something completely different than what they were. Please don't lose sight of that. Because it's real easy as we study this to get caught up on the peripherals. And we're going to talk about those things. Because those things are important. But the reason that the Holy Spirit came was to make them and us. Martus. A living sacrifice. The power to live the life that Christ is calling us to live. That's why the Spirit is given. And that's what we see being birthed this day as we begin to take a look. They're in one accord, one passion. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. A sound from heaven, the scriptures declare. Not a rushing wind. A wind did not blow through the house. It says there was a mighty sound from heaven like a rushing wind. Like the sound of a tornado. Have you ever been near enough to a tornado to hear it? Or a crazy wind? Come on, we live in Idaho. We hear crazy wind. I know it. I had, but I still have it. A dog run. It's like 10 by 10 by 10. Chain link fence. I was feeling bad for a dog that we had at, the, at that time. Because it was sunny and warm. So I put a tarp over the top. Apparently that turned it into a plane. Because a rushing mighty wind came through Castleford. And picked up the dog run. And blew it at least 100 foot away from where it was. And laid it down in a heap. So we understand. There are some nights I go to bed and I can hear the wind howling past the windows. The wind is blowing. It says there was a sound, but listen to where it came from. From heaven. I want you, as we consider this sound from heaven. I like to view this sound from heaven as the voice of God. God. Just like the voice of God spoke from the pulpit of Mount Sinai when the law was given. The voice of God spoke again on the day of Pentecost, the day the church was born. Let's look at Psalms chapter 29. If you want to turn there with me, Psalm chapter 29 is a psalm that tells us about the voice of God. The sound, this mighty sound from out of heaven. In Psalm 29, beginning at verse 3 through uh, verse 9, it says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple everyone says glory. Somehow, I think they shout that glory at hearing the voice of the Lord, this mighty sound that came out of heaven. The scripture says, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. We know they're in the upper room, it's early in the morning. It's early in the morning when Peter begins speaking about what's taking place. We know it's 9 o'clock then. That doesn't mean that's what time it is here. Right now they're gathered together. They probably gathered together around 7 o'clock. They're sharing in the first meal and they're preparing to go to the temple. It's a Feast of Pentecost. That's where they're going to go. So they're gathered there in the upper room. Scripture tells us there's 120 of them present. And this sound from heaven comes through and kind of blows the doors off the house. This boom, it, it fills that whole place with, with, uh, with his presence. It says it filled the whole house where they were sitting. The sound. The sound. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fires. Another Simile, it doesn't mean tongues of fire, it means that's what it looked like. And the scripture seems to indicate that there was one, there was the picture of one tongue as of fire that divided. So there was this one large tongue there in the presence in this room, and this mighty sound is heard. And in, as they're looking, this, this mighty tongue divides. It, it come, falls apart, and, and part of it, Lands on each and every person present in that room. A hundred and twenty all together. It sat upon each of them, the scripture says. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This phrase speaks of the overflowing, the overwhelming, the The time when the Spirit is in control of the man. Now, I say that with trepidation, because some people think that the Spirit will take control of you. The Bible tells us that the Spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. There is a relinquishing that we can control of ourselves to the Spirit. And if you have walked with Christ for very long, you very well know that you can give yourself to the Spirit or you can give yourself to the flesh. We can choose to walk in the flesh. We can choose to walk in the Spirit. But this empowerment that came upon them was unique. Never again did you hear the voice from heaven. Never again did they see the tongues of fire. This is a special thing that is occurring. It is as though God has shouted into the upper room, and we're going to see in a few verses, the people around the temple, which was traveling easy traveling distance to the upper room, they heard it. And they're all thinking, what in the world was that? And so, just like what happened, if you heard a mighty explosion, it's incredible noise, people start running to see what it was. And God gathers them together. And as they come running up, they see these 120 guys come walking out of this upper room into the street there, between that upper room and the and the temple. And as they come walking out, they are speaking in glossa tongues. They're speaking with heteros grosa. The word heteros means of a different kind altogether. Now that can mean two things. And we're going to see in in this section, and dealing here in this place, which is why I said, please don't bring your bias as you look. Let the word say what it says. They're speaking with other tongues. We're going to see that they, in this case... We have at least the hearing of other languages. We see that as they come, the Bible tells us that it appeared to them divided tongues as a fire It sat on each of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by God. And they began to speak with other heteros, other of a different sort, not other of the same sort. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they're speaking in tongues. They're walking up the road, and you have 120 guys speaking in tongues. Again, this only ever occurred once. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, Paul is going to say, this is how the ministry or the use, the administration of the gift of tongues is to occur. You want to know what he says? Read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. So they come down, and as they're coming down, and and as these things are going on, what do we see? We don't see interpretation taking place. We see people saying that they can hear what's going on. It says in verse 5, There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. There were dwelling in Jerusalem. These people were not visitors. They are living there. That word dwelling in Jerusalem means that they were living there. Sometimes people say these guys were all the visitors who spoke all these different languages that were come. And, and uh, while there are visitors there who speak all these different languages, there is also what is known as the diaspora or the dispersion of the Jews. And this group that we see coming on the day of Pentecost is a group of men that live there. They're dwelling in Jerusalem. And they came from all these other places. But they've come to hear the sound of this rushing wind. It says in verse six, and when this sound occurred, a multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. In his own language. Diocletos. Can't argue it. They heard language when we look at this section of scripture and we talk about the gift and the use of tongues the reason why i'm emphasizing this there's basically three views as we as we look at, at this section of scripture and i believe scripture interprets for us what's going on what's happening and we can see it but in essence there are three views three basic views that take place that is that the tongues here in the book of Acts and the tongues in first Corinthians chapter 12 13 and 14 are exactly the same thing they are glossolalia which means ecstatic speech and the miracle that we see on the day of Pentecost is a miracle of hearing that they heard the languages now up until recently, I would say that was my camp. I always figure I have the right to adjust what I'm seeing as I study Scripture. And so as I study the Scripture, what I discover is, as I look at this, this section of Scripture and what's been taking place and, and what's going on, what we see is very different words used in Acts... In regard to the gift of tongues. Is in 1 Corinthians 12. 13 and 14. Paul in in 1 Corinthians 12. 13 and 14. Is going to point directly to. Ecstatic speech. That's what that's all about. And I'll talk briefly about that. That's just so you kind of have an idea. Of what I'm talking about. But that's what Paul's talking about. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. In the book of Acts. Especially in Acts chapter 2. We have direct understanding of languages and the problem with a miracle of hearing would mean that the holy spirit came upon all the people who came in the same way that he came upon all those who he gifted to speak and i don't think he did that the scripture would tell us he came upon the hundred and twenty And those 120 did something that no one has ever found any proof of. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Nobody's ever found any proof. Zeno glasalelia, which is the utterance of a language you do not know, but that you speak. And they spoke these languages... And as they did, the people who heard, the people who saw, they, they marvel. They're, they're blown away. They're, they're amazed at what took place. Well, I told you there's three views. One is that both sets of tongues are the same, ecstatic speech. The second view is that they're different. Acts chapter two is different than what occurs in first Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And If you study the the scripture, you'll see where they can kind of get that that idea. The third view is that both sets of tongues are the same, and they both refer to language and not ecstatic speech. And those are the three views prevalent in the church today. Those three views are, are the bias that we bring in with us. Sometimes tongues freak us out. And we're a little uptight about it. So we look at this scripture and we say, well, it's languages in Acts chapter 2. It's Therefore, it's languages every time it's used. That's the way it has to be. And that's how we deal with the gift of tongues. Other people are okay with the gift of tongues. They see, they bring their bias in and they say, well, glossa is, a, is ecstatic speech. It was, it was just like we see the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. And that's the way it is. I think I fall in the middle camp now. Not, it doesn't matter which camp you're in. You can be in any of the camps and still come to church. It's okay. But as I've been studying this section, I, I, I fall in the middle camp, and, and for a variety of reasons, and if you have questions about that, you can you can talk to me later. I don't want to bore everybody with a, with a bunch of Greek and syntax and why this is attached to that, but the, suffice it to say, as I study the scripture, what I see is Acts chapter 2 is definitely language. They spoke language. The people heard language. Each one in their own tongue that they had been born in. Not because they couldn't communicate any other way, because these are men living in Jerusalem. These are guys who all spoke Koine Greek and Aramaic, which was the common tongue of the time. The mighty sound comes, and these guys are walking around, and they're speaking. But they're still following the basic concepts of the gift of tongues as we see it. What are they speaking? Listen, the scripture tells us. Let's take a look. It says, And they were all amazed and marveled, looking to one another. Not Are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites... Those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues. What? The wonderful works of God. The wonderful works of God. Listen, the reason I say that they're that they're not the same, that there's differences, is several questions that arise if I take the view that this gift of tongues is language, and that's how tongues always are to be. The first question is, why would God give man a different language to speak to him? You see, 1 Corinthians 14.2 says, He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Period. A lot of people have experienced a lot of different things. And I'm I'm not here to argue with anyone's experience. What I'm here to say is that our experiences are to be governed by the truth of God's word. Otherwise, how do we govern our experience? Then it's all about how I feel instead of... Instead of the truth of God's word that I can anchor myself to and say, here's what God's word says. The Bible tells us uh, the the second question that, that arises in my mind is how do you speak in a foreign language to God in the spirit and have it as a mystery? If it's a language, it's not a mystery, it's a language. Again, 1 Corinthians 14 2 says, He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him, however, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. Mysteries. The third question I have is, How would speaking in a foreign language edify yourself? For 1 Corinthians 14, 4 says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. The next question I have is, Is the interpretation of a foreign language something that we have to pray about? Because in 1 Corinthians 14, 13, Paul writes, Therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. There's no interpretation taking place on Acts chapter 2. That is people understanding what's being said. It does not bypass the intellect that goes through the intellect. Final question. How can you pray in a foreign language and have your mind not involved in the process? 1 Corinthians fourteen fourteen. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. But my understanding is unfruitful. As we look at what Scripture says, and Scripture is our guide. What Scripture tells us is that there is a difference between what occurs in Acts chapter 2, the birthday of the church... 3,000 souls saved. A gift of tongues is used. And this gift of tongues is a gift that flows through the, the disciples. And they speak languages that they don't know. And people hear those languages and understand those languages. And it causes them to ask questions. And Peter stands up to answer the question and gives the first sermon of the church. Which reminds me then, as I look at this, well, what is the purpose? Think about for a minute, just think about for a minute, we'll come off this subject pretty soon. But think about for a minute what language is. Language is a covenant between two people. If I stand in here and I say, praise the Lord, you guys know what I mean. Right? If I stand in here and say, Gloria a Dios, Gloria a Dios, some people will understand what I'm saying, some people won't. If I say Baruch Atah Adonai, some people will understand what I'm saying, some people won't. Those who are have the same covenant of language with me, understand what I'm saying. If I was in Israel and I said, Baruch Atah Adonai, everyone there will understand what I'm saying. Because they have the same covenant of language. If I say, Katare Strotram, Nobody understands what I'm saying, but if I'm in India, then they would respond with amen, because they have the same covenant of language. And language kind of goes beyond just what I say. Yeah, you see, if there's some kids here from a football team, and I looked at them and I went like this, and told them like that, they would look around at each other and say, hey, we're running crash right, two twist." But nobody else has any idea what I'm talking about. What in the world is he waving his arms about? And then he explained what it was, and it still didn't sound like English. What in the world is he talking about? But we have a covenant of language. And they understand what I'm saying. What's my point? The gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is a pact or a covenant with God. That I, when I want to praise, pray, or worship. When I want to direct something toward Him. And I run out of words. That I have a pact with God that says. If I will bypass my intellect and allow my spirit to pray. That God will understand my heart. And people listen to it and they say, that's ridiculous, it's gibberish, it's nonsense. No, it's a covenant with God. And you can study about it in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. What does 1 Corinthians 13 say in verse 1? Though I speak with the tongues of what? Men and what else? Anybody know what the tongue of angels sounds like? Me neither. But the first time my autistic boy heard me speak in tongues, sometimes I don't know what to say when he's freaking out, so I just will sit quietly to myself and pray in tongues with my hands on him. He said, Pray like the angels, Dad. Pray like the angels. I never told him that. Sometimes when his autism gets too big, if you're around him, he'll ask for prayer. And if it's bad enough, he'll say pray like the angels. First Corinthians 13 1 Corinthians 13:1 says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, there's an important part there, the most important part, what is it? And I have not love. Stop wasting your time. Romans 5.1 tells us that we need to go through things. And the things we go through develop our character. It develops hope. It develops endurance. It develops patience. And the end of that section of scripture he says. And hope does not disappoint. For the love of God is poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Folks the gift is the Holy Spirit. Listen please. The gift is The Holy Spirit. Earnestly desire the best gift. What's the best gift? The gift you need right now is the best gift. And so Paul says, earnestly desire. He says, do not forbid to speak in tongues. But nowhere in the book of Acts, barring Acts chapter 2, nowhere is the gift of tongues used. Outside of the context of with other believers. Not one time. When I am governed how I see the Holy Spirit moving in my life. I'm not going to be governed by my experience. I'm going to be governed by what does the word teach. How does the word tell me. I believe the gifts are needed in the church today that they need to be flowing through the body of believers today but they need to be flowing according to what god's word teaches not according to how i feel or how i experience or what i went through once what does the word of god say how does it line up with the word of god and we need we gotta have that flowing through us i'm i'm so thankful for 1901 in the azusa street revival and really the birth of the Pentecostal movement because once again the church opened its eyes to the reality of the flowing of the Holy Spirit. The only issue I have, and it's it's not a divisive issue, I don't mean it as divisive, the only issue I have is the leaning into experience rather than to the word. I want the Holy Spirit moving and flowing in my life. And like Paul, I speak in tongues, I pray in tongues. I sing in tongues. I believe tongues is a part, a natural part of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in my life as an individual to edify me and to draw me close and to encourage me in times when I'm low. And it's a thing I need. I just The other day I got a phone call. I don't want to say too much about it. I got a phone call about a really scary situation and I went into this situation and I offered uh, prayers and it's... Uh, it's um, I don't know. I didn't know how to pray. So I prayed through the whole thing. It was just me going to to this place. And as I walked the property and as I went through this house and as I did the things that I was asked to do, when I didn't know how to pray, I thank God for the gift of being able to pray in the spirit Paul said, I will pray with my understanding, and I will pray in the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 tells me that when I don't know what to say, the Spirit will make groanings for me that can't be uttered. I have a pact with God that says, when I don't know what to do, and I don't know what to say, then I can come to Him in tongues, and He will pray. Hear my heart. And it's an incredible gift. But Acts chapter 2 is language. It's different. I'm not saying that that, that, that doesn't mean there's not tongues today. Please hear me. There is. And there's a place for it. In, in a meeting of believers, in prayer meetings when we gather together, in my personal devotional time, there's lots of opportunity for that. But these guys were filled with the Holy Spirit. And, I, and I've already talked too much about tongues, so I'm going to stop. Because, listen, that's not the important part. Listen, think about what the important part is. Instead of anger, they're filled with love. Instead of impatience, they're filled with long-suffering. Instead of revenge and bitterness, they've got meekness and self-control. Instead of despair, they have joy. Instead of anxiety, they have peace, because they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And we need all of those things. and They only are going to be expressed in our life, in a life filled with the Holy Spirit, Some days, I'm on the right side of that list. And some days, I'm on the left side. And when I'm on the left side, I need to recognize that I need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit, like Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. We've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit to be who God called us to be. Otherwise, we're just our own selves. And I love you guys, but we're way better when we're filled with the Spirit. Way better. Way better. Way better. That's what we want. The source of it all is the Holy Spirit. The source of everything. But as we come down, we see two hearts. Same two hearts you see today. You see a responsive heart. The responsive heart is marveling. It's blown away. What does this mean? I'm hearing the wonderful works of God being proclaimed by these 120. What does this mean? They ask. The rejecting heart says oh these guys are just drunk they're just a bunch of drunks none of what they're saying makes any sense to me the bible says the natural man cannot discern the things of the spirit for they are spiritually discerned that for every man to come to the knowledge of god he must be called by the holy spirit that's indisputable one heart is responsive what does this mean? One heart is rejecting, ah. And so, as they call out at this and they ask these questions, then I want you to realize all the tongues stopped. And one man stood up and he proclaimed with power the Word of God. Because it is the Word of God given through the power of the Spirit that changes lives. Not some neat story. Not some funny joke. The power of God's Word. Peter stands and gives an answer. Let's look at his answer. Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose it's only the third hour of the day he's he's kind of it's a tongue-in-cheek jewish joke the idea of what peter's saying here is the food that we eat for breakfast doesn't mix with wine so these guys can't be drunk he's talking to good jewish guys who are thinking they're drunk and that's the point that he's saying you know we only mix wine wine comes later in the feast not right now right now it's too early it's 9 o'clock in the morning, There's there's been no wine, There's there's these aren't drunk as you suppose. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. The prophet Joel, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, is not the same Peter who turned his back on Jesus Christ. He's not the same Peter who denied him three times. He's not the same Peter who went fishing when he should have stayed and studied. This Peter is filled. This Peter is empowered. This Peter is being all he can be in Christ Jesus. And the Spirit opens up the pages of Scripture to him. And he says, this is what Joel said in verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all Flesh. Listen, this means that the presence of God is going to be experienced by all mankind. The Old Testament wasn't that way. The Spirit of God would come on somebody, empower them for a work, and then leave. This is different. And it defines for us the days in which we live. That first phrase, in the last days. That started on the day of Pentecost, when Peter read this verse, he said, This is being fulfilled. You are in the last days. It's a period of time as we look longingly, waiting for the return of our King, of our Savior, of our Lord and God. It is a period of time called the last days. And here, gathered together, he says, I will pour out my flesh, my spirit, on all flesh. For what purpose? Why? Is God pouring out his spirit? Because he's not pouring out his spirit so I can speak in tongues. He's not pouring out his spirit so that I can heal. He is pouring out his spirit so that I can be his martus. Acts 1, 4 and 5. When I give you the Spirit, you will be my witnesses. Does that mean the Spirit doesn't heal? Absolutely not. Absolutely, the Spirit does heal. Absolutely, the Spirit does move in the gift of tongues. Absolutely, the Spirit does move in the gift of prophecy. Absolutely, those gifts are here today. Needing to be a part of the fellowship... The scripture lays out for us in 1 Corinthians 13. That for now, we know in part, but then we will know as, as, as we are known. It says, as for tongues, they will cease. As for prophecy, they will fail. When? What's the context of the scripture? When I see Jesus face to face. I won't need prophecy anymore. I won't need tongues anymore. I won't need healing anymore. I won't need any of that because I'll have the reality. Until that time, we want the Spirit of God moving and working in us to be witnesses. Now I want you to see, what, how does he say? The first thing he says, your sons and daughters will prophesy, men and women. Think about the people he's telling this to, because he's telling this to a group of Jews who still today, if you go to Israel, to the to the uh, western wall, and you go to pray, there's a woman's section and a men section. There's still that division. There are still multiple divisions. But Jesus Christ tore the veil and destroyed all division. He said, there is neither man nor woman, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Not Jew or Greek. We are all one in Christ. Your men, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Speak with power the word of God. Not always foretelling, but foretelling. Speaking forth the word of God. Think of the prophets of old. We read them today. Are the prophecies we read today any less prophecy? No, but they're all fulfilled. They're the word of God. They're foretold. We study them to see what the prophets had said. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. We have people within our fellowship who have seen visions this year. And they're real and they're true and they were uh, interpreted and fulfilled and still happening. It is occurring in our midst. Your old men will dream dreams. Just this last week, Brian Daly shared a dream with me which officially means he's an old man. Your old man. Sorry, brother. Your old men will dream dreams. God spoke to him in dreams. God has spoken to my wife in dreams. Very specific. How do I know when God is speaking through my wife in dreams? Because what she dreams happens. That's how I know. How do I know? Because I line it up with the scripture. Because the scripture is my foundation. So I'll take all prophecy, any prophecy anybody gives, and I'll run it by scripture. And if it passes the test of scripture, then I will set it down and I will pray over it and I will look for its fulfillment. And when it's fulfilled, I will know that was absolutely the voice of God. Because God's prophecies are never left unfulfilled. Ever. That's what scripture tells us. Your sons and your daughters, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, and on my men servants and maidservants. There are some people who, when they look at this scripture, they say, Well, this scripture in context is just dealing with the Jews. Well, except for on my men servants and maidservants, because that is very specifically in the language dealing with Gentiles. Oops. And it says of what's it say for them? I will pour out my spirit. I'm going to pour out my spirit on Jews. I'm going to pour out my spirit on Gentiles. you think that was covered over here when he said, On all flesh. Remember our Greek lesson, right? But sometimes people need extra proof. So there's the extra proof. My men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. That's a point of the Holy Spirit is not for all these gifts to shine a light on your spiritual strength but to shine a light on Jesus Christ. That's what the Spirit does. He points to Jesus. Nobody walking up talking about these Galileans speaking in their language was pointing at them. They were all saying, What in the world is going on? And right at that moment, God had a man stand up and speak to them in plain language that they could understand and tell them what was happening. The Spirit of God was being poured out. A church was being born on the day of Pentecost. This is what God was doing. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood, fire, vapor, and smoke. Wow. Not only do we see the power of the Holy Spirit moving in order for us to be witnesses, but then you also see the power of God displayed in the universe. When? Well, that should sound really familiar to you. It should sound really familiar to you because we read about it in other places in Scripture. And the timing of it in those places. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 29 and 30. It says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The last days. You're going to see the power of the Holy Spirit equipping God's people to be witnesses. You're going to see the power of God in the heavenlies. You're You're going to see God move. Well, someone's going to see God move. So I believe the Lord calls His church home. You don't have to agree with me. I'll explain it to you on the way up. <laughs> and I don't want to get too carried away in it, but I am saying that the, what, what Peter is talking about here is the power of the Holy Spirit equipping believers to be witnesses and the power of God shown in the heavens. That's what Joel's talking about. That is going to occur right as Christ is returning, as Christ is coming back. In Luke 21, it says, "And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars; the earth in distress of nations, and perplexity in the sea, and the waves roaring; men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven will be shaken." And they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. The power. This is what Joel is pointing to. These things. What's he say? These things will occur in the end of verse 20. Before the coming of that great and awesome day of the Lord. The power of the Holy Spirit equipping God's people to be witnesses. And while we're here, we are to be witnesses. We're to fulfill the one call he gave us. Go into all the world and make disciples of all men. That's everybody. No one is exempt of the call. The call is given out. The power to fulfill the call is given in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is with us today. Jesus told us in the Gospel of Luke, if you want to have the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life, all you have to do is ask. Paul, writing in Ephesians chapter 5, says that it is our choice. We have to choose. We can choose to be controlled by wine, and we can choose to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. He says, Do not be filled with wine, which is dissipation, but be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. We choose to be effective Witnesses for God, or we choose to be a lazy servant who says, "My master delays his coming." He's not delaying his coming. I want to live today like he's coming this afternoon, and if he's coming this afternoon, I need to be found doing what he has called me to do. There's no tomorrow. There is only today. Verse 21, as we close out, listen to what it says. And it will come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Spirit is poured out so that we would see the power of the Spirit equipping believers to be witnesses. The power of God displayed in the heavenlies, in the universe, and the ultimate purpose of God fulfilled. And that ultimate purpose of God, listen to how he says it, is not that everyone will be saved. What does he say? Whoever calls on his name. Jesus said, in that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Didn't we prophesy in your name? Speak in tongues in your name? Didn't we do amazing miracles in your name? And Jesus will say to them, depart from me. You accursed, cursed in the everlasting fire. Why? I never knew you. It is possible to have motion without devotion. It is possible to have... A life that looks all together on the outside and on the inside. No relationship with God. But he said, whoever calls on my name. When Peter was sinking in the water and he said, Lord save me. What did the Lord do? Nope, you need to go down for a couple of minutes. So you learn to trust in me. Good idea. Scripture said, yeah. I know, that's why I don't call for your help, John, when I'm drowning. Peter said, Lord, save me. And immediately, boom, he was there, pulling him up. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Folks, we got a job to do. We've been empowered to do that job. There's no excuse for not doing that job. The empowerment is here. If you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we all do, all you have to do is ask. And then... Go, teach, baptize, make disciples of all men, fulfill that for which we were called until we see him face to face. And Peter hadn't even started preaching. Aren't you glad I'm not doing this whole sermon? You might still have time to make it to lunch today so as we have a time we're going we're gonna to pray and we're going to go into a time of worship I invite you as we call upon the name of the Lord and as we seek his face the spirit is spoken to your heart There's two ways he'll speak to your heart today one you're not his and you feel like I just feel like God's telling me I need to, to ask him into my heart to be my Lord and Savior but don't get hung up We will have prayer counselors around the room. You walk up to one and say, I need to ask Jesus into my heart. And I promise, they'll do it with you. That's why they're here. The other way is he's going to move in your heart and say, I've been walking in the flesh and I'm not walking full of the Spirit. The Spirit's given. He's here. There's not another day where the rushing wind's going to come through here and the tongues of fire are going to land on your head. He's here. We need to tap into them. We need to grab a hold. We need to ask, Lord, fill me, equip me, let me be your witness. The Spirit speaks to your heart that you need to be that. I invite you to do the same thing. Walk up to one of the prayer counselors and say, Would you please lay hands on me and pray that I would be filled with the Holy Spirit? And you will be. You will be equipped. To be his witness. Then walk in faith. And watch God move. Amen. Why don't you stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we're in awe of the outpouring and the outflowing, the equipping of your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. We need your Holy Spirit today, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit because the church is ineffective. The witness of the church is, is not great. Why? Because we're walking in our flesh and we're not walking in the control of the Spirit. We're fulfilling the desires of our lust. And we're not fulfilling the commission that you've given us. And we do need to repent. And we do need to come before you and seek that feeling of your Holy Spirit. As we seek that feeling of the Holy Spirit, let it not be for us Let it not be about our exaltation. Let it be about people being saved. Let it be about your spirit moving with power and changing lives and leading believers to stop their car next to some guy on the road because the spirit said stop. And he was in tune. And he heard the voice and he stopped and he said, you need the Lord in your life. And together on the side of the road, God sent you just like he sent Philip. To pray for the Ethiopian eunuch. And there you are. Being used by power. We think it's got to be something more flashy than that. But it doesn't. We need to be in tune with your spirit. We need to be filled by the power of your spirit. We need to s- strengthen our spiritual muscles so that we recognize the voice of the Spirit calling in our life. So that we're willing to step out on obedience. When Peter and John stop and they put hands on a man and they prayed, Silver and gold I do not have, but such as I have I will give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. The same Spirit that healed that man is here when the Spirit speaks and we're in tune with the Spirit and we're walking according to the Spirit, we will have the faith and the strength to do it. But We've got to be passionate for Him. He's got to be my main thing. I won't hear Him through the voice of all my desires and lusts. I need to ask for those things, those voices to be quieted so that I might hear His voice. So that I might know when He's calling me to go over and sit next to that person in the mall and say, is there something I can pray for you? Spirit, just put it on my heart to, to see if I could say a prayer with you. We want the church to be effective We want the church to be functioning in power. And we want it to be occurring in our lives, in the world, bringing people to Jesus Christ, for that is our purpose. So God, hear the cry of your people this morning. Purge me with hyssop, David said. That my sins would be forgiven. Get me on the right path. A path of everlasting life. Tune my ears to your voice. Allow me to hear. All that you have for me. And as God calls. Church. You listen. Listen. You obey and you watch your world begin to change. And your witness strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit evident in our life. Our world will hate us, they will seek to extinguish the flame. But until I see Jesus face to face, I am going to kick the darkness until it bleeds a light. So move, Lord Jesus, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.